Welcome to episode two of the Lost Dice Cast. My name is Richie. And I'm Bill. Jason. And we are here talking about all things tabletop gaming, um, RPGs, uh, wargaming, board games, covering it all um, from the perspective of three dudes that have been gaming for quite a long time, um, now all new dads, trying to figure out ways to still enjoy the hobby and have fun with it. So... For this episode, we are going to kick off with what have you been playing? What have you been working on lately? Um, Bill, uh, we just last week threw down on some Kings of War at your place, and you had some glorious um, tiles on your tabletop. I did. That's um, like a both a cool thing and a sore subject at the same time. I've had those tiles sitting around for years, literally now um and but not able to finish them due to a whole bunch of reasons but mostly involving work and kids um and finally had an excuse to get a game on here uh and we had a fairly large game of uh, kings of war and in the process uh i pulled the rest of the tiles out realized i'd actually done quite a bit of painting and also had not finished a lot of the painting yeah um, you seem to be about halfway there yeah it's about a yeah halfway is about where i feel like i'm at um it's it's good. I'm happy that I got color on everything. <laughs> they looked good. Yeah, it, yeah. It, but you know, at the same time, like I'm the whole time we were playing that game, I'm looking at it going, oh, "Need to paint that up. Got to paint that one." Like you know, like it's you know, self critique is always creeping in, being a pain. And um, when you have it on a scale of eight feet by four feet, yeah, that's gonna yeah. be jumping out at you all over the place. Yeah, the the, ti- the, the tiles I ended up picking um, were from uh, a company called Secret Weapon Miniatures. Uh, they had a big Kickstarter and did a bunch of stuff where they released uh, this whole tile system. It's really it's just one foot by one foot tiles that are plastic that you know connect together real nicely, um, and they have a lot of detail because they're injected molded plastic. I didn't get in on the Kickstarter or really notice any of that. And I just happened to be at Adepticon a few years back. And they had some out, and I was like, man, that looks cool. And, hey, I have a lot of disposable income, so why not? Um, and uh, I proceeded to figure out that they only sold in small increments, uh, four-feet tables, and I have an eight-foot table. So uh, it's, it, was, it was a pricey endeavor. But uh, for me, I had spent a lot of years um, – actually, uh, Rich, you helped with this years ago. We built a lot of um, – polystyrene uh, pink foam or insulation foam you'd put on your house uh, boards and they just haven't been holding up and they shed um, all the flock that we have on there and they're kind of a pain in the store because they're huge Um, this was one of those things where it's like okay I need a way to be able to put this in a a bin or a case or something Um, and that was the main push behind it and it it worked out so Um, they look good they're super compact they're very lightweight the one downside I would say was just rolling dice on them was awkward because although the it's kind of a yeah because <laughs> although making all the the terrain can be a little cumbersome, it is nice to be able to kind of notch out a little flat spot to be able to roll your dice. Yeah, I mean it, that's th- that is definitely one of the like the drawbacks to it. You know, I I enjoy the fact that it's modular, but at the same time, I w- like I'm not gonna lie, like two weeks before we, we had that game set up, I was looking online going, I could buy one of these, these mouse pad mats that fits the entire table too. That's not a terrible <laughs> idea. And, and you just roll it up and then that, that's all you do. It's, that's it. It's printed and it has all the stuff on it and then it rolls up into a tube or a bag. Like that's pretty great. 
I'm not going to lie. Um, well, it really so. just means that we all need to make sure we've invested into dice trays. Yeah, I mean, that helps too, but but even then, like, I use that more to hold the stuff than and I end up rolling on the on the tiles anyways, just out of habit. True. But yeah, in addition to that, uh, since we were playing King's War, um, I was also working on finishing the same project that got stopped for the same reasons around the same time, um, and that's my Abyssal Dwarf Army uh, for King's of War, um, which... Uh, is actually mostly painted. Um, it's a lot of the finishing touches that I wasn't able to get to um, over the last year and a half, two years. Um, yeah, it's a lot of that's basing, flocking, putting you know static grass and stuff. Um, you know, finishing some highlights on certain character models, stuff like that. Um, and now, have, since that weekend, I've tried to spend you know like a half hour at night just working on a few things and making progress on stuff. Because uh, truthfully, like. There's only one unpainted miniature for that entire army, and it's a big one. It's one of the larger models they sell, but everything else is pretty much done. Um, and I've, it's been a long time, like you know, since high school, since I've had a finished painted army, entirely painted army. Nice, um, and that that's and, all and stuff you got from Mantic, right? Uh, yeah, all the stuff um, in that army is from Mantic. Um, some of it is their original ranges uh, that were all weird metal miniatures or weird hybrid miniatures that are half metal, half plastic um, from when the company was starting out. And then I've, uh, they did a Kickstarter that I didn't get into because I just because I, I figured they'd sell them eventually and they did. And turns out a lot of people were like, oh, we got all these extra miniatures that we didn't want for this army because they wanted a different army from a Kickstarter. They put that stuff all over eBay and I bought a bunch of it for like pennies. Um, it was way easier that way and it's easier when you have patience and little time to actually do that sort of thing so it works out pretty good oh yes so jason looks like you've been playing some ios apps do tell yeah just one so um bill i don't know if you remember race for the galaxy at all richie maybe you too but i know bill it's been a while (laughs) um i don't know if you remember how that works at all um or maybe San Juan would be a point of reference for you. Uh, give and us if, the high level. And if not that, maybe Puerto Rico. So Race for the Galaxy is basically a it's a card game with role selection um, that was sort of distilled out of, um, like I said, San Juan and Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, was, or excuse me, San Juan was a card version of Puerto Rico. And Race for the Galaxy basically took a lot of the mechanics in San Juan and added more to it and made a really great card game out of it and that game has been around for probably close to 10 years now Um, and they recently just developed an ios app for the game Um, and it's it's really great actually Um, so one of the defining things of the game is that cards can serve multiple purposes they can be something in your hand that you can build but they also act as currency so in order to build you know, especially more expensive cards, you need to have cards in your hand because you're going to be spending cards directly out of your hand in order to create this tableau in front of you. Because it's a um, little bit more of like a civilization building game, right? Um, or is it more of like you... an economy building? Because I really probably honestly don't remember. Yeah, it's probably more economy. I mean, it's generally a pretty quick card game. I mean, two players can probably get through the game in 15, 20 minutes um, if they know what they're doing. But um, I mean, generally a turn, the players all pick a role and then all of the roles that were chosen are executed um, in a numbered order. Um, So like the game doesn't really have a ton of interaction. All of the interaction comes from, you know, you looking at what other players are doing and trying to 
get them to, or, or I shouldn't say get them, but hoping that they will take the role that you want them to, so you can do two two things that you want on your turn, which you'll probably remember that from like Puerto Rico when we used to play that. Sure, sure. So I mean, how does it how does it work out on a small screen format? It works out pretty good, actually. It's really kind of neat. The you know your player hand is at the bottom of the screen, and actually, I've only played it on my phone. I haven't touched it on the iPad, so I can imagine the iPad experience is probably even better. But yeah, on the I'd phone, imagine it's, if it's okay on the phone, it's probably way way great on the ipad i mean a lot more real estate yeah one thing that they do that i like quite a bit is that um so your your player hand is at the bottom of the screen and then there's sort of just a, a dead space in the middle where cards you're playing are placed um or um you know the cards that you've played previously are sitting out so if you want to um, discard something or you're selecting things it's just you just drag the card out into this big space in the center of the screen you don't have to you know drag it off to the side like um trying to think what was the other um ascension there's another deck builder sure, deck sure building yeah called ascension. I, I the app that for one. that yeah the app for that you have to drag cards to you know a specific discard pile and it's just kind of clunky especially on a small screen like the phone right. um but this you just, you just drag the card out to this big dead zone in the center so it's really smooth and it works really well Oh, great. So do you like it enough that you'd actually rate it on the App Store? Oh, no, I don't ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Everybody wants to rate review it's apps It's a hassle. <laughs> um, but what's really nice about it, too, is that um, the AI is really, really good. Um, the There was a PC program, I, th- I think I remember playing it probably seven years ago or something, and I don't remember exactly what it was called, um, something with Keldon's Race for the Galaxy or Keldon's AI or something like that. But this guy basically wrote an AI for the game that you could play against, and it was really hard. And it was just it was it was really good. And they actually used that guy's AI in the app, so it's it's a similar oh, experience where it's challenging and you know the game plays really well. So I would definitely recommend it, but not enough to rate it on the App Store. Okay, <laughs> <That's a bold laughs> and then and then who makes it? You know, that's a good question. Well, Race for the Galaxy was Rio Grande. The board game was Rio Grande, right? Yeah, the board game was published by Rio Grande. I'm opening it up as we speak so I can try and see who published it. So is, yeah. it, like, is the game only versus the AI, or do you, or do you have the ability to, like, to play with other people is, on, um, online? There's online play as well. I have not looked into that. So you're just strictly playing against this, this crazy hard AI? Yeah. Because this is mostly a toilet game for me now. It's good <laughs> so to know. Excellent. I'm not gonna, to put it. And I can get through it in five or ten minutes, and playing online with people is probably going to take a lot longer. Um, Temple Games, Temple, no, Temple Gates is the uh, publisher of the app. Crazy. Cool. Well, I don't have a particular um, have been playing on working on lately because I've been working on home renovation projects, so I've been a little tied up there. Like Tetris. Yes, exactly. So that being said, um, let's bounce into just main topics. Um, Bill, Kings of War. Yeah, so um, I kind of wanted to talk about it, and actually part of this is, is selfish. I actually was going to ask the, ask both of you about a, a bit about this, but uh, we, we had a large game of Kings of War. Um, we took some pictures, wrote up a post on mossdice.com, and you know, uh, had a good time with it. Uh, you know, it's not... Kings of War to me is is a, a great means to sit down and play a game that's not super complicated, but still has the spectacle of a war game. Um, that's that's definitely an appeal that um, keeps me hooked on that uh, particular system. 
Um, that and the fact that I have a basement full of miniatures that perfectly fit into that game system, so I don't really have to do much except for empty out buckets and shelves full of stuff to play that game. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, but uh, so, I, like, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you guys about, like, Richie, obviously, we've played a bunch of uh, Kings of War off and on over the years. Sure um, have. Jason, like, a few times you've come over to play, you know, Kings of War with us, and um, you don't own an army, and you're not really into the miniature thing, but, you know, you still, you know, come to hang out and all that sort of thing. Um, I guess, what are your what are your opinions about it? How did it, how did it play? Because this is the first time both of you have played the uh, second edition. I liked it. Um, like you said, the miniature gaming isn't something that I'm interested in enough to, you know, start modeling and painting myself. Um, but I know before we started, I asked you to send me the rules and the fact that the rule book was like 20, 30 pages, I think that makes it really appealing. And I was able to skim through that and get enough idea about the rules that when we actually played, I could pretty much jump in except for, you know, some of the special abilities and you know some of the finer points of the combat but i thought it was really accessible which makes it much more appealing than some of the other stuff that i've tried playing with you guys right i mean i haven't been in okay so i have been playing in the hobby for a while but i've been largely only playing the kings of war rule set and then before that um just kind of I remember I I did a little bit of Necromundo with you, Bill, and then I know we had done a few um, kind of fringe skirmish rule sets where we tried that. Um, mm-hmm. But then my real first big exposure, probably six or seven years ago, was um, Hordes and War Machine. And really a game like Kings of War was a really good fit at that point because some of those games, um, especially in the miniatures realm, where there's so many individual hero characters, have so many special rules and you know just special feats and things that different characters can do. It almost convolutes and complicates everything to such a degree that if you're not hardcore into min-maxing those rule sets you're really at a disadvantage, especially if you're a casual or entry-level player. I mean, for me, I'm a little bit more of the beer and pretzels kind of game player in the, for the most part. I enjoy a lot of a lot of the in-depth games, but not nearly as much as some other people do. I kind of like just sitting back and just having a, a fun time, having good, laughing about it, not being too stressed about what my next move is. So, I mean, for me, Kings of War really hits all those bases. Um, I do really like where they're going with the rule set some of the things felt a little bit more cleaned up to me um i know specifically i've been playing dwarves for quite a while now within that rule set and there were some things that were a little bit more complex with the war machines and just a little bit harder to hit on some of the dice but they kind of refined some of the way that the probabilities work out in some of the roles and it felt a little bit more natural to me and i i liked what i saw so far yeah like you mentioned accessibility Um, and with War Machine and Hordes, that was the last thing that I had really played miniature gaming-wise, and so much of that game just felt restrictive and unfun. (laughs) Like with um, how you had your caster guy, I don't remember what the name of the main guy was, but you had to keep your guys within a certain range of your main guy. I think that was maybe just Hordes. I don't remember exactly. I think it was um, both, but yeah. But like that wasn't fun. Like it was just kind of a pain to keep everyone within that circle you were always measuring and then the same with you know you'd make a charge and oh i ended up an inch half an inch short and i just missed i really liked with kings of war how everyone was just kind of out on the table they could do their own thing um and you could pre-measure 
because that just pre measuring is makes, huge. Yeah, it's such a better experience. Yeah, I mean, especially from a like, you know, for somebody like me who stares at, at a table a bunch and has put a lot of hours into gaming like that, I don't mind the ha- being a half inch out because it's my bad judgment call. But for somebody who do- who doesn't play games like that all the time, that has to be just infuriating. <laughs> all it just really seems doing like a is skill pun- that doesn't add to the game experience, though. Like it doesn't. I don't know. It's just yeah. It just doesn't fit well in my mind. Well, it's kind of a discriminatory rule, right? Because I mean, if somebody only has one eyeball, I mean, they have shit depth depth perception. So it's like, hey, this is a game that's not completely inaccessible to people with eye patches. Go play Kings of War instead. Yeah. Right. No, that was always something. (laughs) Eye patch friendly. Yeah, for me, I I have I have endearing memories of of uh, of that sort of thing because. Um, I was very proficient at guessing how long I could shoot a cannon in Warhammer Fantasy and then also have a pretty good judgment of how far to bounce, and both of which were random. Um, and so that that sort of thing uh, was, you know, I, I got pretty good at it. Let's put it that way. Have you found a way to transfer that skill to real life yet? Nope. Completely <laughs> useless. But it was one of those things that, like, those are, like the memories I have of those games – or the stories I can tell about them are involved things like that. So they, you know, they were the they were the highlights of, of those games of Warhammer Fantasy for sure, amongst a bunch of other things, obviously. But like those are the kinds of like weird things. Like what are the odds that I can take that guy off the back of a dragon and watch this take him off the back of a dragon with a cannonball? And it was that kind of nonsense, um, which is what Warhammer Fantasy was definitely full of. But that that was the route that um, you know I took, and a lot of that is uh, a lot of the stuff that pushed me out of Warhammer and into Kings of War and other, you know, or just any alternative rule set really. Um, cause I tried plenty, that's for sure. Um, I needed something that wasn't so complex because if I had to go two months without playing a game and then try to pick up a rule set like Warhammer fantasy in the fourth, oh fifth, sixth, seventh editions was nearly impossible. I needed a crutch or another person who could even roughly tell me what some of those nuances were about fleeing, about maneuvering, about some of the basics of the game that just weren't that intuitive. Well, it also makes it easier for you to get a group together. I mean, if you were playing something like that, odds are I wouldn't have joined you. You probably would have had <laughs> a smaller group of players in general. Yeah, that's definitely um, that's definitely a concern. And part of the reason I have like multiple armies in the house is not because I can use them all at once. It's because I can bring people over and be like, "Look, just pick one off the list and tell me which one you want to play." <laughs> and I don't have to. I don't have to worry about it. I, I've got enough here to do that. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm greedily crossing my fingers, hoping my kids are interested in this. I'm, you know, obviously that's wish, wishful thinking. I don't know that that's going to happen, but, um, you know, I, I appreciate that that's the case. Um, the, that principle comes from friends of, of mine, uh, that I, I have that live in Madison now. I can go out there and play 40k with those guys, uh, Warhammer 40k. And if I needed an army, I can pretty much ask for one and they will, someone will have an extra one and deliver. So I feel like that's the return I get by wanting to play these fantasy war games, uh, to do the same. Uh, it's onerous, you know, like for people that are not in this game to even consider buying an army and getting into it. Cause in Kings of war, the smallest size armies with the smallest amount of miniatures is still like 30 dudes. You know, like the, the you know, that uh, ogre army you were playing, Jason, had what probably twenty miniatures in it. Yeah, I think so. And it was the smallest portion of your team. <laughs> so yeah. you're like doing a nerdy pay it forward, basically, is what you're saying. Kinda, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, the price of entry is relatively steep for those games, but as long as we're talking about spending money on things, Jason, I think you just got something that you did a Kickstarter on. Yeah, and I was actually looking before we started recording. The Kickstarter was in March of 2015. 
and oh was supposed God. to be delivered by Whoa. the end of that year. So it was definitely delayed. Um, but the con- the communication throughout, you know, the finish of the Kickstarter up until now was really good all all the way through. So it wasn't like the guy disappeared. What was the name um, of the Kickstarter? So yeah, it's for an RPG, a game called Blades in the Dark. Um, and the PDF rules have actually been available through all of the various iterations of the game up until now. And I think the final version was released probably a few months ago, but I just got the book last week and it is beautiful. And I'm really excited about the game, even though odds are it won't get played ever or for a very long time. <laughs> but um, so what it is, basically, it's it's a game that takes place in sort of a industrial revolution fantasy world. Um which seems pretty neat. Um, sort of like Dishonored, the video game. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Richie, I think I convinced you to play that at some you point. You sure did. Yeah, I'm familiar with the game. But that's it's a game with climbing, so I love it. I was, um, I was just going to say, does it involve climbing? <laughs> no, um, ninjas. But it's one of my favorite games of all time. I've probably played through it two or three times, which I don't do very often with video games anymore. Um, but the game itself... Um, I think it ha- probably has some things in common with like Apocalypse World and games of that type, which we have all played a little bit of. Um, but over the course of its creation, I think it became a lot more of its own thing with a lot more like complicated mechanisms that are buried within it. Um, so like one of the, some of the major similarities that it has are like each player sort of gets a playbook sheet that lists all of their abilities and skills and upgrades and damage and all of that type of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a character sheet, but, um, you know, all of your like tech tree type of things are listed on there, um, as well. And you can play like all these different classes. There, like, there's a hound who is a sharpshooter tracker guy or a lurk who's a burglar or a cutter who's a fighter. Um, but so, so what makes the game neat aside from, you know, this cool, dark, gritty setting, um, is you you actually play as a crew of criminals that are like trying to make names for themselves and the crew itself has a character sheet as well Um, so you can kind of pick when you're creating all of your characters what kind of criminals you're going to be are you going to be murderers or mercenaries or you know spies or drug dealers all those type of things Um, and you can actually unlock abilities and turf for your crew as you as you do jobs and complete them and you know make names for yourself and bring heat down um so it's just sort of neat. You I'm know. just I'm super intrigued by this system, and it bums me out slightly that it was a Kickstarter because I have a funny feeling I'm not going to be able to like ever order this in print anywhere. I think you might be able to now, or at least soon. I'm not sure. I would hope so. You're going to have to keep me keep me up to date on that because I'd seriously it might be love a to get a copy. Thing. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I'll try and send you a link, and you can. Yeah, there, I, I clicked on the link you sent earlier. Uh, it doesn't look like you can purchase a copy because um, it just takes you to the Kickstarter page. But I would imagine at some point, like once they've gotten through all their fulfillment, I would hope they would offer some sort of purchasable option if there's some Yeah, I would there. think so. Well, but, and um, then he, oh, but yeah, a couple of years is a long time to really push through a, a project like that. Yeah, I mean, it was a one it was a one man job. It was a guy named John Harper that made it. Um, so there's some of the other neat stuff about the game is the sessions are sort of structured, um, where ideally you can complete like one to two jobs with some downtime in between. And what's really cool about the game is it's designed to not get bogged down in all of the planning. So you know, like normally when you're playing RPG type of games, you get done, you get in these you know 
20 minute, half hour long conversations where you're trying to figure out the best way to do something. You know, should we go and do this? But we need to make sure we have, you know, all of this gear with us and you know all those type right. of variables. This game is designed that you skip all of that. You like choose a plan of attack and the game lists like six or eight of them, you know, like, and then you pick a detail that goes along with that plan. So for example, there's one called assault and you pick your point of attack, or there's one called stealth and you pick your entry point, and then you just jump into it and go. Which, you know, you'd think would be a problem, but then in the game there's a flashback mechanic. So, you know, something happens or you see something about to happen and you can go, okay, stop, I planned for this, and then you spend stress for your character, and then it lets you, you know, flashback to, okay, my character actually hid these pistols underneath this table for just this situation. So that's really cool. That's a really great way to resolve that, just keep the game moving. Yeah, so like it's so like I said, it costs your character stress, um, and stress is sort of a currency in the game in general. Um, so like, you have this stress that you can spend, um, and over the course of you know playing your character, if you take too much stress, you end up taking a trauma, which affects your character in some negative way, um, and then it resets the stress. And if you ta- ever take four traumas, your character just isn't fit for you know, that life anymore and has to move on. They don't necessarily die. They just move out of the criminal lifestyle. They're not made for it anymore. But so things that can happen is like you can stress your character to give yourself some advantages when you're rolling the dice. Um, Or you can stress your character if something happens and you don't necessarily like the consequences. You know, like if someone stabs your character and it would kill him, you can be like, okay, I'm going to spend stress on this and I'm going to, he's going to power through and not get killed. Very cool. Is there an ultimate penalty to too much stress at some point? So like I said, yeah, eventually it builds up and you have to take trauma. And eventually if you get too many traumas, then your character just can't participate in the game anymore. But then if you're on a mission and you choose not to spend stress, I mean, you could just basically fail whatever mission you're on if you don't want to expend the stress. Then accept the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. So another thing more from a GM side that's really cool about this is the game has something in it called progress clocks which i think is a really neat way of determining like when things happen so these progress clocks are basically circles with like four to eight segments in them Um, and as things they represent like tasks or problems or something that the characters are trying to overcome you know like guard alert levels or things like that and more complex the problem generally the more segments that are in this clock um, but as as the characters do things, um, they'll roll roll the dice, and in the game, certain certain die results have effects associated with them that would say like you know two ticks or three ticks on this progress clock. So once the clock is filled, then then you know that task is accomplished. So you know the characters could be you know doing something, trying to sneak into some place, and I mentioned guard alert levels. So you know okay they failed this roll that adds two ticks to this alert level. and what, so But they're still not noticed because the progress clock on the guard alert levels isn't full yet. So it's just kind of a neat way to track things that everyone can see you know, where, where the progress is at and what the consequences are. I, I just think it's really, really interesting. I like it. I'm pretty much sold on it. I, I'm going to have to get my hands on this book at some point. Yeah, but it's a really is, good book. This is kind of a good transition to the what are we looking forward to section. Um, I'm going to jump in. Um, So transitioning from that, um, we are about to, this summer we're going to start off um, campaign three, 
which is actually kind of like the third part to a ongoing campaign that we started two years ago on, in Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. Um, I'm excited for that, but I'm kind of even more excited for all these other great um, RPGs that keep coming out. And I want to get into some of those at some point. So I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm very excited to get into our, next leg of the campaign but i'm also very excited to get through it at some point to get through other stuff but that being i'm a little said, worried you're just gonna kill i'm not us gonna rush it so you can... i'm not gonna rush it <laughs> yeah i'm gonna give it proper dues we're gonna play it out and we're gonna see where the story goes um what's interesting about this is that this series of campaigns is actually uh, my first dive into dming and it, it, you know i made a few classic mistakes starting out where I had this very elaborate story I wanted to tell and I wanted everyone to exist within that story. But I was from the beginning trying not to put the thing on rails. And at the time I didn't think I was and looking back on it now, I totally did. Um, but it was okay. Um, <laughs> as we got into the second session, the second campaign, um, really I was able to kind of find my stride and really just kind of back off and let things happen and let my plans fall apart and let the party just kind of wander off and to where they went. But I felt like I kind of, we kind of hit a point where, I mean, me, me personally, I just kind of needed to refresh it, but I didn't want to burn the world and I didn't want to completely torch the whole You're thing. And burn I wanted all of us. I wanted to burn all of you, which Literally, I actually kind of right? did. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys died yep. in a fiery explosion, but <laughs> what I did is that it's we kind of we hit a point where the the main protagonist was um you know this this god of death and was kind of pushing the party to try and join them join the forces of evil but the party never really gave in and so fighting against this god all the way through eventually they kind of wound up at this one point where they found this this fountain of power and magical energy and um one of this this uh, uh this evil god's minions had kind of you know blown it he, he basically blew it up while the party had discovered it um so the party led the guy there he blew it up to take them out and also to seal it to keep power out of the natural world. And what that actually caused was this explosion that killed the party, murder. but sealed off magic from the world. So now, yeah, super murder. So where we'll pick up is it's going to be some 400, 500 years in the future where the world has kind of had to persist without magic and people have long since forgotten magic. It's kind of slipped into a thing of fables. So now we went from a world that was very high magic. Now we're going to a world that's going to be kind of magic is going to be this very unique, rare and special thing. And what I've kind of braced everybody with is the fact that it's like, you know, your physical selves died, but as that ended, um, they're, they're, you know, they passed into, you know, the, uh, another plane of existence where they met another god that explained to them that they would return and so the characters will all have returned and they're all in a, they're all managed to wind up finding their way together again at this university um in the realm where they're all students and they all somehow manage to become friends again so they have no memory of their previous life yet and they were about level seven at the time, so they're coming back in at level one, but there's nothing saying that 
they won't magically find all their powers restored. So it's going to be kind of a different way to go about continuing the world, but completely starting it over again. So you can kill us all again? <laughs> New game! Yeah, and then we're going to play Blades in the Dark. <laughs> they didn't pick the thing I liked. Kill them all! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm looking forward to it. I've been, I was thinking about that today when I was on my way home from somewhere that we haven't played in a while, and I'm really itching to get back yep. to the table in air quotes yeah. the digital table and uh yeah, back to roll and 20. jump into this yeah, and it's been a while and unfortunately for me i've had a lot of other stuff going on so i haven't had time to fully prep the campaign but just learning from my own mistakes of the past i mean really my approach this time through is to just come up with a really good you know backstory about the realm about the kingdoms about what's happening you know politically you know what what are the big social to-dos that are happening what what's unique to the school come up with a couple of events to kind of kick off everything but really i'm going to really just play more of the referee and just let and just kind of help guide the story and let the players bring it out let you guys basically bring it out this time instead of trying to have this big elaborate story arc all set up and ready for you so we'll be the murderers yeah so if you all die you'll <laughs> you'll have killed yourselves plan yeah, I think that'll sound that'll be great. I'm excited for it. June, yeah, me too. sometime, right? <laughs> Assuming I don't need to push it back again, yes. You won't. I hope not. Um, but yeah, that's a that's enough about that. So, Bill. Yeah, I hate money slash I spend money is the subject. Um, no, uh, there's a Kickstarter from Mantic. Uh, so obviously, the pretty much all show I've been talking about that, but. Uh, they're doing a Kickstarter uh, called Terrain Crate, um, which is something that is super interesting to me. Um, but you know, mostly, mostly in so far as I have seen some of their product already. Um, I backed their Dungeon Saga Kickstarter, and some of the components that came with that particular um, game are plastic dungeon furniture and plastic doors um, and some other little, um, you know things that would go along with a, a dungeon crawler game uh and the quality was surprisingly good um it was good hard plastic good good molds um yeah, they were they're they're not going to get bent or warped easily uh that kind of thing they're not as soft as some of the other plastic miniatures that uh, i'm used to um and they're certainly not made of resin so they're not in any danger of shattering suddenly uh the- did they have previews of that stuff at um adepticon i don't think so um they had a sign mentioning there was a kickstarter coming but they didn't say what it was got um it. and i think online like when we got back like a week later maybe or that weekend i think they had some pictures posted online of some like sneak previews of the stuff but um because yeah, the stuff online looked good yeah they, i mean they're covering all kinds of things they have uh, the kickstarters are always structured strange but anyways they're covering different themed rooms or themed areas of um you know wargaming so there's a wizard study with bookshelves and an owl on a pedestal and a table and some cool like universe spinny looking thing i don't know what you call it uh then they have an abandoned mine they've got train tracks uh train you know a cart uh to go with it barrels crystals rocks etc things that all fit that theme treasure rooms and blah blah, blah. anyways the the stuff that for me that um had me most interested is um when we play kings of war i we tend to throw a story in and we tend to try and play not just a line up your armies and fight scenario 
Um, and over the years, we've done a lot of things that uh, would be easily distilled into something called an escort mission where you need to make sure this dude survives and or gets across the table or gets to a specific item or um, point on the board, enters the gate in a castle, you name it. Um, they have a baggage train. It's a horse and a buggy. Like it, it, You'd be amazed how hard it is to actually find one of those in 28 millimeter to use for a game. Um, uh, like the evidence of that is I've actually built two. I, I've, I've handmade two of these um, with bits and other pieces and, you know, balsa wood. And so I like, it's a pain in the ass. So this kind of thing is like, Absolutely. Oh, hey man, this is done. I can put this on a base and I've got a baggage cart and there's crates and barrels and, uh, whatever. But, uh, the other part that, that was interesting is they have campsite, which is tents and fires and, Fences, hedges, um, rock walls. Well, that's what's know. so that's what's so nice about getting into this, or whether you're getting into it now or you're still into the, this hobby now. I mean, there's just there's the art of terrain making, which is something we practiced a lot. We used to spend a ton of time many years ago making tons of terrain for the table, and it was cool and it was rewarding. But my God, some of those projects became incredibly exhausting. And today, it's just beautiful because there's so much that can be easily produced with 3D printing. Molding is so much more, you know, it's something that more companies can get at and mass produce more easily. And the prices have just really come down for these pieces and they add so much to the table and just not having to hand construct all that stuff is a real time saver at this point. For sure. The advent of 3d printing has made a huge difference. Um, what I will say is like, I get, I get reasonably frustrated with, um, company or large companies or companies that clearly make enough money where they can put these sort of things out as a pre-order using Kickstarter as a pre-order system. I don't know that, I'm going to have any say or change in that. It's just kind of the way it is now. And it's a bummer. Um, but and it's you're a backer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm back in it. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it, it's the, I, at the same, in the same breath, I will also say I would totally pre-order that if it was on their site. Like, so like, yeah. to me, like there's, there's no real benefit to this, I guess, because chances are given the amount of images they have and the amount of 3d prints they're showing. Um, they just sent out some images today specifically, uh, I'm like, they were going to make it anyway. So, so what are they gaining? <laughs> like this has some of, I just think the stretch goals for this are hilarious. Yes. I mean, I know the entire thing is basically like furniture and piles of bones and stuff like that, but <laughs> give us more money and you can get some cups for your tavern. Yes. That's, that's my point. Like I would totally still buy the cups <laughs> for the tavern if they put it in a box and sold it as a tavern set of terrain. Like, what is like, this? Is that a beaver? Maybe. I don't know. Well, maybe it's rats. I don't know. It's in the dungeon debris. It's probably not a beaver, but like it's just it's weird, you know, a little plastic animal. Cool, I guess. I mean, if you're buying it, I can see why you'd be excited for it. But yeah, it's just they're really, really small little bonuses for the Kickstarter that I think yes. are kind of hilarious. Yeah, and you know, the the main the main thing here is that they're offering a discount compared to their normal retail price. But frankly, the retail price for a lot of these is not very expensive. So. I mean, that's all subjective. That's, you know, my opinion on it. But like, I, like I had bought them anyway. So what's the difference? Like, I just, for me, it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to, you know, pay Kickstarter now. And their rough estimated delivery is May, 2018. So that's a, that's a ways off. Damn. That seems standard now. Yeah. Wait a year. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And other ones like, uh, like those have been involved in were 
roughly on time or some pieces didn't make it quite on time with these guys so uh, mantic has a decent track record i'm not afraid i'm going to lose my money by investing in you know giving them money um it, where you know some of the other companies definitely fall into that category of i don't know if i'm going to actually get anything um as a result because they're you know a tiny mom and pop shop well, oh, future Bill will thank you when he undoubtedly forgets that this was coming his way. That's literally how Kickstarter works. Is like a year or plus later, like stuff shows up at my door. It's like, oh yeah, I did do that. I did order that. Huh. Can you let your daughters paint the skulls? Yes. I mean, why not? <laughs> like, I actually they have a, they have a torture chamber set. I'll just add that for the girls. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, Father of the year. <laughs> well, on that note, I think that's about as good a place as any to cut it. Um, I'll have, uh, when we post this on the site, um, all the links mentioned and all the Kickstarters and all the other fabulous things we mentioned, um, links will be in the show notes um, in the post. Uh, if you found us on iTunes, that'll all be on www.lostdice.com. Um, but thanks for listening, and this is episode two, and episode three will come again at some point soon. Thanks. Thanks.